make me un poco loco, un poquititito loco. The way you keep me guessing, I'm nodding and I'm guessing. Now count it as a blessing that I'm only un poco loco. Hello, hello. Welcome to our podcast tonight. Today we are going to be doing a book review over... Bless Me Ultima, the podcast. Before we get into our podcast tonight, I think a few introductions are in order. My name is Alyssa Nickerson, and I will be one of the hosts tonight. My name's Abby Dotson. Some people know me as Scotty Dottie, and we're here to give you the best book review you've ever did her. <laughs> All right. So, before we start... We need to give you a summary of this book before we can jump into the analysis. So, let's start. Okay. So, Bless Me Ultima. It's the story of Antonio, who is a prophetic six-year-old Chicano boy who's growing up in Guadalupe, New Mexico in the 1940s. Antonio's father, who's a vaquero, is from the Llano. Hey, Alyssa, did you know that means cowboy in Spanish? Oh, wow. Thank you for that, Abby. All right. Antonio's father, who's from the Yano, is a free spirit, and his mother is from a pious religious family called the Lunas, who live in La Puerta. Antonio struggles throughout the whole novel to discover his identity and struggles between becoming a priest or a vicero. So, next, the family takes in an old healer named Ultima, and over the course of the novel, Antonio becomes very close to Ultima. Antonio first witnesses Lupito's death very early on in the novel and he was driven mad from the war and this is the first step in Antonio losing his innocence. He begins to question religion after he sees this and after Ultima heals his uncle Lucas from a spell cast by the evil Tenorio after the priest has failed Antonio also begins to question religion even more. After Tenorio threatens to kill Ultima one day the family friend Narcisco comes to her defense, and Tenorio vows to kill Ultima and Narcisco. Ultima's owl actually claws out one of Tenorio's eyes. That's crazy. That is pretty crazy. And after a Christmas pageant one day, Antonio witnesses Tenorio kill Narcisco and then go unpunished. That's pretty crazy, if I do say so myself. It's ridiculous. So Antonio is further disturbed, losing more innocence throughout the novel. And he hopes to get religious clarification. And after his communion, he doesn't really get what he needs. And he's left kind of feeling empty. And despite his friend's Florence, Florence's atheist views, um, he, doesn't, he still doesn't gain any religious insight. And Ultima succeeds again in ridding the spirits out of Gabriel's friend's house, which leads Antonio to lean more to the supernatural side of religion. Yeah, so... That was great. I'm just going to finish out the summary here for you, Alyssa, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Antonio is wants to show Florence the golden carp, which is actually so crazy because he's already seen it before. But ironically, Florence ends up dying in a drowning accident the same day he's going to show him this carp that Antonio values so much. Um, which brings back some more disturbance into his life and... He ends up actually going back to the farm with the Lunas and kind of rooting there for a little bit. Antonio also hears about Tenero pursuing the death of Ultima. So he, she's a Tenero is a as attempting to kill Antonio, and it, as Antonio is 
trying to run away and warn Ultima about what is about to come to her. And as he arrives, um, he actually witnesses Tenero killing Ultima's owl, which um, I'll talk about this later on and I'll touch back more on it later, but Ultima's owl is actually a symbol of her spirit. And so when the owl dies, it's actually foreshadowing the death of Ultima herself. And Uncle Pedro ends up killing Tenero and Ultima blesses Antonio on her deathbed. On her deathbed. She's such a nice lady. She really Antonio is. resolves and creates his new life in religion. Um, and he creates a blend of both cultures and beliefs um, that he's been a part of his whole life with the Lunas and the Morass families. Wow, that is a crazy summary. The summary quite, is good. It's quite good. Quite a few it's plot a twists one. throughout. Really keeps you on your toes the whole novel. Really keeps you on your All toes. All right, so let's move into our next topic. We're going to be talking about a major theme of this novel. And now that we're into analysis, we kind of picked up that a major theme throughout this novel was probably Antonio finding his moral independence and separation from his mom and his dad and kind of forming his own identity. And over the course of the novel, Ultima is really the catalyst in helping Antonio transition out of his childhood and making his own decisions regarding religion, culture, and ultimately his fate. And a reoccurring theme that kind of supports this moral independence motif throughout the story is his loss of innocence. He does have a lot of that. He really does. He sees a lot more things than an average six-year-old would. And as he sees these deaths of people that he's close to or have impacted him in some way, it really shapes him into the kind of adult that he wants to be and that will ultimately result from all of his trials over the novel. Yeah, that was a great analysis on that theme. Um, so I'm going to take you guys back into Ultima's Owl, like I had mentioned in the summary. Ultima's Owl follows her everywhere she goes in the story, and it's a symbol of her mysterious powers, very unknown to the readers um, for the majority of the book. Antonio is really afraid of the owl at first, um, but then he comes to grow and see that the owl has a comforting and a watchful presence to him. And so the owl will eventually, he calls out the warnings when danger approaches, keeping Ultima aware of her surroundings. And he actually rips out Tenerio's eyes in the story. Crazy, crazy. And if that's not a protector at its finest, I don't know what is. Ultima... um, Ultima's owl is actually linked with Ultima's soul um, magically. And then so when it dies, like I had mentioned before, she ends up dying. The foreshadowing there is insane by the author there himself. It's crazy. Um, And so the owl actually remains such a mysterious um, aspect in the book all the way until the end of the novel. Uh, Similar to the supernatural myths of the indigenous people throughout the novel. So... That's talking about that symbol, and we're going to move on into a close analysis of one certain scene. Um, And we're actually going to go right into the scene in Chapter 11 of The Golden Carp. And so I'm just going to give you a gist instead of quoting, boring you with a big quote. Um, Antonio is going with his buddy Cisco, or I'm not really sure how to say his name, but I'm sure you can get get a good gist of his name by that. Um... So they're at this pond, you know, there's a calf that appears at the edge of the pond and 
and they're just kind of watching it and just taking it in for all of its beauty and and so um Cisco is really infatuated by the car the golden carp itself and then you know it it entails so much power and so much beauty um Anya which is Rudolph on Anaya. 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 Sorry I'm sorry. For, We're sorry having for Abby's of... butchering of these yeah, names. It's not my forte, to say the least. Uh, Anaya adapts his prose style to the emotional and psychological context of the character situations. And so, we're, as we're seeing Antonio um, encounter the golden calf for the first time, it's, carp. it's I mean, golden carp for the first time, it's, it's really just... Um, signifying the confrontation that he's been having with the non-Christian faith. And and so we see it as a natural beauty and just all of these things because people are, are worshiping to this carp. Um, and so it's really conflicting him. And so he uses the diction from that little excerpt in chapter 11 of the encounter with the carp to describe how simple and how powerful this carp is and relays the fatuation of the boys's relays the fatuation with relays what is he relay okay i think i think what i think i think what abby is trying to say is that antonio is having this religious struggle throughout the entire book so as he's starting to doubt the catholic faith and then he sees this symbol of another non-christian god figure he wants to turn to this carp and kind of use that as maybe an alternate to the catholicism that he's been doubting but he ultimately ends up being disappointed by this carp as he learns that he is just as judgmental and punishment driven as As the catholic Catholic god himself i couldn't have said it better myself evidently thank you all right we're gonna go ahead and go right into the character analysis of Antonio himself the man the myth the legend Antonio Antonio. we're going right in Nickerson take it away all right let's jump right into Antonio Morez like I said earlier in the summary he is a six-year-old Chicano boy and he is the protagonist of this whole story and he has a great desire for knowledge he doesn't necessarily love school but he wants to learn more But he wrestles with a lot of difficult questions about life and religion and all of the above. And he's, like I said earlier, he's very mature for his age. He witnesses a lot of things that kids his age shouldn't necessarily have to deal with yet. And over the course of the novel, we really see him have a come of age almost of a type as he faces the tribulations and grows up in a way that is influenced by Ultima and his parents. And his relationship between his mother and his father is very conflicting, and that's reflected through his dreams and through the stream of consciousness, as we can actually see into his thoughts as he dreams. And the plot is essentially Antonio building his own identity from the life experiences he has, the cultures that are in his family, and the beliefs he's exposed to. And over the whole entire novel, Antonio loses innocence, which is one of the huge aspects of his character development. And that's ultimately um, helped by Ultima, who teaches him how to make decisions for himself. And the guidance that Ultima provides has 
helped Antonio solve conflicts for himself and it's helped him become braver as he stands up for Ultima at the end of the novel against Tenorio. And the reader never exactly finds out what happens in Antonio's life or what his fate will be. But there's kind of a a line that like knows that he'll infer or the reader can infer what's going to happen to him in his life and how he's going to make decisions for himself. For sure. I would say that his fate from what the reader has been given to them is he's he's just he's devouting himself to be a man of learning for sure. Um, that was a great analysis of his character development. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and talk to you guys about the setting influence on the plot and the character development itself. And so this book was actually taking place in the 1940s, which heavily was impacted by the Chicano movement. And so in Bless Me Ultima was based in Guadalupe, New Mexico during the Chicano movement. Um, of the 1940s, like I had said, and during this time period, there was significant identity struggles for the Mexican-American population. And so this can be seen throughout the novel for sure when Antonio is going to school for the first time and, and he's getting made fun of for bringing tortillas for the lunch and everyone else is bringing sandwiches. And so he's really was struggling with the language barrier as well. And so he knows how to speak Spanish. Um, obviously, he grew up in a Spanish-speaking family and, and so... He grew, and so the author himself actually grew up around the same time period in the land of the... In the Llano. Okay, sorry. Sorry. We're back to Abby mispronouncing (laughs) Spanish words. Sorry, uh, (laughs) you know, it's not my forte, like I said, uh, all the way in New Mexico. And so it's well known as one of the greatest Chicano writers himself, honestly. So this also is taking place post-World War II, which we see a lot play in when we analyze um, Antonio's brothers. You know, they were in the war, they came back, changed men. Uh, Lupito had suffered PTSD from the war, which um, resulted in his death upon returning home. And so we see a lot of struggling in the with the war itself. And so now we're going to go into our interview portion. Um, we interviewed our fellow AP Lit classmate, Avery Beal. So please enjoy our little break in our analysis for our interview with her. Today we're here with our interviewee. Drumroll, please. <laughs> Avery Beal. Yay! All right, Avery's going to be answering some questions for us about Bless Me Ultima, and Abby is here to ask the first question. So, Avery, if you were in Antonio's place of Bless Me Ultima, do you think you would identify more with the Lunas family or the Mraz family? I would say more of the Mraz family um, because they're more free spirits and they have a greater value for freedom. So, yes. Good answer, good answer. Good answer. All right. Our next question is, how do you think this story is similar or different from two kinds in everyday use short stories that we read in class? Um, I would say a similarity is that um, all of the passages showed um, perspective of children from immigrant families who struggle with identity. Awesome. All right. Abby with the next question. So how do you think Antonio's dreams enrich the story? Well, the stream of consciousness throughout the story helps the reader obtain a better understanding through his dreams. Awesome. All right. 
Um, how does this reflect the lifestyle of other children in the Chicano movement? Um, I'd say a lot of the children in the Chicano movement went through the same identity struggles of not feeling like American enough. For awesome. All right. And our last question. Would you recommend the book to a friend? Honest um, answer. 100% honesty. Absolutely, I would. Yay, awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for coming on here today. We really appreciate you Thanks taking the time for to be here. Me. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Avery. And now we're going to jump right back into our analysis with the major shifts and turns within the novel. So we thought that a huge turn in the novel was when Ultima curses, or sorry, Ultima cures Lucas's illness because that was when Antonio started to accept more supernatural religious views more than just Catholicism. And then when he sees that Tenorio um, vows to kill Ultima and tries to kill Antonio himself, and then it gets even more crazy when um, Tenorio, who's still angry with Ultima, kills the owl, which ultimately, like Abby said earlier, foreshadowed Ultima's death. And when the owl died, Ultima is basically destined to die as well. And she asked Antonio to bury the owl's body. So that's kind of when things went crazy. No one really expected that. And it was just a huge turning point in the novel, which ultimately um, outlined Ultima's fate and Antonio's. Yeah, yeah. For sure it did. Um, And so now we're going to head into some of the juxtaposition used by the author. And so, uh, first of all, <clears throat> Anya used juxtaposition while Uncle Lucas was, was cursed to demonstrate the absence of God's power. And so, and to kind of incorporate the presence of Ultima's powers a little bit more um, in the times of need. And so, therefore, causing Antonio to really emphasize that question between religion, um, the religion he was born into, and kind of sort of the supernatural side of things that he's super intrigued by. And so specifically when, this is quotations here for you, the holy priest um, at El Puerto, right? Did Mm -hmm. I get it? Yep. Did I get it? I got it. Had been asked to exercise exercise El Encanto. Mm Mm-hmm which is the curse, um, he actually failed. Oops, actually wasn't a part of that quote. In quotation, after Uncle Lucas got cursed um, by the Brujas. Brujas. Brujas in the forest. Yes. There it is. All right. She's going to go on. uh, Nickerson's going to give you a little bit more on that juxtaposition. one more example of juxtaposition, just because I know that's probably one of your favorite points. Everyone Everyone loves juxtaposition. Who doesn't? All right. So, I thought a very explicit use of juxtaposition in the book was between the Lunas and the Merez, obviously, which goes across the entire novel, but just some of the things that Anaya uses, such as symbols like the moon and the sea, and he uses that the Lunas are really quiet like the moon, and how the Merez family are wild like the sea, which kind of highlights characteristics of both sides of the um families that Antonio is caught in the middle of and how in the end when he forms his own identity how he's going to take um characteristics from each of those sides and blend it to make his own identity 
Alright, so next Abby is going to tell y'all a little bit about the author's use of culture and its significance to the plot and characterization of the story. Alright, I've been waiting for this moment, Alyssa. Oh, yes. I've been waiting for it. So, the influence of culture on identity. Hot topic for the night. Um, it's really prevalent in the whole entire story. Some of the examples of the culture challenges mentioned over the course of the book are the language, the religion, and Antonio's fate itself. And so at the end of the novel, I'm blanking, the author is suggesting that a person can draw from several different cultures and traditions in order to form a more complex and adaptable identity that's more specific to the oneself. And so Antonio is so eager to find a single definite answer throughout the whole entire novel. Um, just he's, he's really thinking in terms of black and white, this is either it, this either isn't it. But, you know, towards the end of the novel, we're seeing that these conflicting cultures have made such an influence on him that he has kind of created a blend of all the cultures itself. And we can really accredit that to Ultima, encouraging Antonio to make his own choices, his own decisions, and create his unique identity for himself. All right, we are on to our last topic tonight. Um, we are going to talk about the author's tone towards the American dream, which is honestly a whole point of this story about an immigrant family and its impact on um, Antonio, the child, who obviously feels the pressure of his family to live out this American dream. I would definitely dream. be feeling the pressure Very in this situation. All right, so we thought that the tone of this hot topic of the American dream is honestly could be interpreted into um, kind of a like a a comparison between the father and the mother which ultimately impacts Antonio's tone of the novel. So Yeah, it's a little conflicting, yeah. a little confused, so but we think that overall the tone is conflicted. So basically Antonio sees his father's lust for adventure and that's symbolized by building the house and and to- er, his father's pride for the yano and adventure and his mother's just piousness and rigid, more morally upright standing. And honestly, that has a lot of pressure on Antonio to choose what which American dream is correct. Is there a correct answer? Is his father's American dream of adventure the correct answer? Or is his mother's American dream of education and prosperity and religion the American dream? Yeah, that was well so, said. That kind of just shows that it can be interpreted in many different ways, and there really isn't a correct answer, but Antonio has to figure that out for himself at the end of the novel. And so as we're going into the relevance that it holds within the 2020 realm, I think it for sure holds a significant amount of relevance, Um, but I think it, it would be a little bit more dominant within the 2019 range, just with the pandemic and everything going on in 2020. I, I, I think we're not, ha- it's crazy times we live in. I don't think we're having as much immigration and migration to our country. Um, So I think that, uh, you know, um, people are wanting to come to America. They're wanting to cultivate success for their futures. And mm-hmm. I think that's really uh, what, what, Bless Me Ultima was all about is right. is the success that your future has the potential to hold. And so um, it's super relevant in today's world. Um, anyway, thank you.
Thank you very much. Very much for, for tuning in. Yes. This has been a, an amazing time. I was so excited to be here today. I am too. We really enjoyed the book and we enjoyed talking to you today. So, thank you very much. You make me un poco loco, un poquitito loco. The way you keep me guessing, I'm nodding and I'm guessing. I'll count it as a blessing that I'm only 